It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the PowerMizzou.com podcast. It is not really the offseason. Basketball still happening, but for all intents and purposes, it is the offseason where we fill your podcasts with different things. And so this week we are going to talk a little bit about uh, the state of Missouri's two hottest professional football teams. And we'll start talking to Kurt Hunzecker. He is the president of the St. Louis Battlehawks, who started play last week in the XFL and a uh, proud alumnus of the University of Missouri. What's up, Kurt? Doing well, Gabe. Thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, rule number one is uh, no off-color stories about anyone who might be on this podcast who you knew in college, so <laughs> that will be edited out. But uh, just okay. just fair warning. Um, so, so what are we? So what exactly are we going to talk about then? Yeah, really, that's the uh, that's the subscriber-only podcast. We're going to do that. Uh, Understood. Understood. Separate. But uh, it, no, in all, in all seriousness, so you you took over as president of this thing that was like a concept about eight months ago. So I, I know a lot of people in St. Louis are pretty excited about this. Uh, you know, they showed Ballpark Village and some bars and and everybody trying to kind of get behind this. So for everybody that, that's listening, just kind of take us through the last few months and like what you've been doing to get this thing off the ground. <laughs> I I wish I kept a better like diary or journal of exactly <laughs> yeah. what we did. Um, so when I, when I took this job and it was a little under eight months ago, I made the uh, a comment on, on Sunday, right before our first game that, you know, they hand me my laptop and they're like, go get them. <laughs> and I'm like, there, there's no, there's no playbook. No one's really, really done this before. And so you kind of had, I had to lean on, you know, my hometown when I knew about my hometown and, you know, obviously, uh, pro football's history in St. Louis uh, includes two relocations. And then I kind of really started peeling back the onion and realized those two teams actually started somewhere else. And in St. Louis, as anybody from St. Louis knows, when you're born and raised in St. Louis, I think that means more here than any other city, saying you're born and raised from whatever city. Hold on, you think? I think so. Okay. I think so. So, I mean, I'm pretty sure. But – so we immediately set out really from day one as a way to just entirely be forward thinking, you know, the past is the past. There's absolutely nothing we can do about this, but let's get excited about building St. Louis's first homegrown football team. So we went out in the community. I mean, we went to 51 high school football games all throughout St. Louis. Uh, last night we hosted our 25th happy hour. We wanted to be as accessible as possible to the fans and really started building that groundswell support. Uh, from the bottom up, all across the St. Louis uh, metro area. And then, like, shooting out of a cannon last week, you, you, games are on TV, and all of a sudden, everybody's like, wait, this is real? And <laughs> tickets are virtually gone for the home opener, and now everybody's starting to look at, well, I better get my tickets for the second game. There's only five games. i got to get my tickets now. So it's been a very different week this week than any other week leading up to it, which is awesome in every way absolutely not complaining at all but it is fun having it is fun playing games now it's not a theoretical concept anymore 
Yeah, as you mentioned, the the games kicked off last week. Uh, for for those people who didn't watch or who maybe haven't, you know, kept up with the the XFL uh, in the in the kind of its preliminary stages before the the season started, just I guess take us through kind of some of the differences between uh, an XFL game and an NFL game. Well, as Commissioner Oliver Luck uh, points out quite well, ninety eight percent of our rule book is the NFL rule book. Um, there are some elements that when we talk to fans, and that was really what, what built this league, was talking to fans, testing, retesting, uh, focus groups, talk to fans some more. We want to make sure that we improved the sport everybody loves. Uh, make no mistake, football is America's pastime. I mean, in October, when the winless Dolphins were playing the winless Redskins, it drew 7 million more people than Game 6 of the World Series. So that was pretty much, that's our kind of like a stat, like, hey, this is America's pastime. And fans said, hey, we love football, but, uh, you know, there's some things that we'd love if, if you guys are looking at, at, at making these changes. We would love to have more fast-paced action. We missed the kickoff return. We missed the punt return. And, and that's really what kind of helped us uh, develop, you know, the rules and the, the, uh, the game enhancements that we put in place. You know, one foot, the college, the college rule of one foot inbounds, it's just easier to for the officials, quite honestly. And it improves gameplay. You have more plays down the field with, with one foot. Kickoffs, I think, were extraordinarily well-received, where the kicker is all by himself on the 30. And then the kicking team is on the opposite 35, standing still. The receiving team, 10, 10 players on the 30, standing still, and then the kick returner. Um, no one can move until the kick returner touches the ball or, or the ball has been on the field for three seconds untouched. And what that, the, the, the rationale behind that is almost entirely player safety and a little bit of we're bringing back the kick return. So if you kick it out of bounds, the touchbacks to the 30, or if you kick it a uh, touchback, it comes out to the 35. If you kick it out of bounds or you can't make it to the 20 yard line, the ball comes back to the plus 45, which happened I think at least once this past weekend. So it's, it, it changes the dynamic. It's now an exciting play. It's, it's not like, okay, touchdown. Here comes the extra point in the kickoff. I'm going to go to the bathroom and get a hot dog, and eight minutes later I won't miss anything. It's now a play where 90% of the kickoffs had a return this past week, and I believe in, uh, in the fall week it was less than 30%. All right, so you guys pulled the, uh, the biggest upset in XFL history last week, proving <laughs> that you can bet on absolutely anything. Somehow you were a 10-point underdog as a team who had never played a game against another team who had never played a game. So here's the best thing I saw last weekend is, like, how did they decide who was favored in these games? They'd never played games. Las Vegas is Las Vegas. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny, though, but you come out of day one on Saturday, and I think the first game – if Seattle doesn't take the field goal off the board or by taking the field goal off the board, they changed the over-under and the spread. So they were right on that game. And then the second game, I think, was within a point and a half or two points of the over-under. Sunday, completely different games. But, you know, I, I, everything's new. Uh, much in the same way that the four teams that hosted last week, you know, they're just like, yeah, I think we're ready, but we've never – there's never been an XFL game in a baseball stadium before where St. Louis played. We were down at the Texas Rangers old stadium, and it was a fantastic setup. I mean, it's a really cool layout, and the acoustics are great. And, 
you know, those fans were getting loud and rowdy when we were back pinned up in our end zone. I mean, that was a really cool football atmosphere. And then we're down in Houston this weekend for the uh, at University of Houston's stadium, and that place is going to be loud and rowdy because I think now everybody sees what this is. This is fast-paced action. The tickets are very affordable, so you have a, a, a younger demographic that's that's enjoying these games, and that just leads to and then quality football players. I mean, these are professional football players, and quite a few Mizzou guys will be in this game on uh, Sunday night. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. I know Marcus Lucas and Ladamian Washington are playing for you guys. So, how big a part does it need to be to make sure you have some, you know, Mizzou guys, Illinois guys, like some local ties for some of these people to to maybe give a little extra incentive? I don't think there's really any part uh, goes into the equation in regards to that. You know, the you want the best players on your team. You know, LaDamian and Marcus were, were high draft picks because they're excellent pass catchers. And when you have Jordan Tom who's throwing, you need excellent pass catchers. You know, I think the, the, the defensive end, our coaching staff's going to definitely keep an eye on is Coney Ely uh, this weekend playing for the Roughnecks. Um, yeah, the, the, here in St. Louis, because we're the only XFL team that doesn't also have an NFL team, you know, these players are kind of on a um, – more of a pedestal, so to speak. And the the fan base here in St. Louis, it's a great football town. Uh, I mean, as evidence of you go anywhere here and you find Kansas City Chiefs, like championship merchandise, which I never thought I'd ever see the day. Being someone from St. Louis, that St. Louis be so embracing of, of, of the Chiefs, but I have my own theory. We can get into that here in a second. But uh, there, the... They've really adopted all 52 players as their own. Um, yes, LaDamian and, and Marcus and Jamel and a few other guys from the Midwest, Brian Folkert, uh, grew up here in St. Louis. You know, those guys understand the market for, more, and they're kind of showing guys around. But, you know, Jordan Tomu and Marquette King are basically, you know, the mayors of St. Louis right now. And that's just how much we, we miss St. Louis, misses having pro football and how much they're celebrating this team. I, I had a I had a question coming, but Marquette King's a punter, right? Is he is he uh, is he is he become like the most famous punter in XFL history? Uh, no question. He's also the uh, probably the greatest non front office employee the Battlehawks have ever had. Wow. Uh, he he will not uh, hesitate jumping on the phone and talking to season ticket holders. That's, wow, or, that's or corporate partners. I mean, these guys are having fun. I mean, they're they're playing a game that. They enjoy, for some, this is uh, the first opportunity, some it's the second or the third, to get to, to, to continue to play professional football. So they don't take it lightly. They're embracing this opportunity. On, on Tuesday, we had our first uh, community initiative event, and we had a ton of guys volunteer to go. So, like, yeah, absolutely. Like, let's go out. Let's, let's go meet the fans. And we uh, worked at Operation Food Search, and we get a ton of hand raisers. Uh, for a lot of these different events that we have, so it's a it's definitely a fun group to be around. Uh, they're clearly all business on game day, but they're clearly having a lot of fun during the week as well. The question I was going to ask before I uh, I got sidetracked by Marquette King, uh, what, you know, you you mentioned that this came together, you know, relatively like quickly and you know less than eight months, and uh, and and is just kind of a you know work in progress, getting a lot of feedback from the, from the fans. I'm curious, you know, what the future maybe holds or how far out you all have planned and if there's, you know, uh, built-in kind of flexibility to, to get some of that feedback and incorporate it into the product. 
No, excellent question. Uh, me personally, when I first started, just so I knew where I wanted to end up going, and this is, you know, the old J school writing uh, coming through, and where do you want the story to eventually lead to? I, I have a five-year plan. Um, what the Battlehawks look like from a from a business operation standpoint, and keep in mind that it was seven months and one week from my first day until our first game. Everything I want to do, I mean, 80%, maybe 90% of what I want to do, we'll do in 2021 when there's an actual offseason and you have metrics behind you of how many fans are showing up and this, that, and the other. Uh, easiest case in point is we don't have a mascot. Mascots are generally, especially with such a young fan base, and 73% of our ticket buyers have kids under the age of 13. So I think a mascot would be a good play for us. Just simply didn't have the time this year. Um, so there's there are so many things that we're going to do as we build this team up and you know we're one game in and thankfully it was a win but there's so much more that we can do uh, especially since there isn't another team here I mean from a fall sports standpoint our closest team is Mizzou an hour and a half away and that allows us to do a lot of things to be the connective tissue of the different youth football leagues here and you know just because we only play five home games doesn't mean that we're, we're not building a 365-day brand, which is exactly what we're doing. All right, kind of the last thing on, on the Battlehawks and the XFL. So I, I'm the only person who was alive to see the two years of the, uh, of the USFL. I think yeah, you were probably alive. I'm not sure you remember it. But it, that then XFL one kind of fizzled out. The AAF went away after like six weeks. So at what point? Are the people involved in this going to feel good that, hey, this is a thing that, that we know is going to last? I mean, I know everybody right now thinks, hey, this is a thing that's going to last. You don't take the job if it's not. But is there like a, a time frame or a hurdle that you've got to get over to say, okay, guys, this, this isn't going away. This isn't like a one-year thing and all of a sudden it, it's going to go away. This will sound horribly cliched, but it's <laughs> – you're a little one week at a time-ish. Um, you know, I haven't – this weekend there's two two teams, Seattle and L.A. have their home openers, and then Tampa Bay plays on the 22nd, then St. Louis finally goes last on the 23rd of February. Um, Mr. McMahon has really set this up for the long run. I mean, they spent uh, – he hired Oliver Luck as our commissioner, and Jeffrey Pollock's our president and chief operating officer, and – and the two of them really, they work closely with Mr. McMahon, and that vision flows through them, which then flows into the fan engagement, you know, business operations team that Mr. Pollock uh, runs, and then the football operations that Commissioner Luck runs. And none of us are here for a one-hit wonder. And if anybody was going to do it, uh, I would throw, you know, all my money uh, at, at Mr. McMahon, who's one of the most innovative minds. I mean. XFL, the first iteration of XFL brought us the, you know, the players are my, coaches are my, the sky camps. There's a lot of innovations that's, that are really rooted in the, in the first uh, the first XFL. And, and that same spirit of innovation is what you saw this past weekend with Pat McAfee running around the field while the play's going on. Uh, and then interviewing the kicker, uh, <laughs> you just missed that kick, what happened? And, <laughs> you know, that's the stuff that our fans wanted, and that's why – we spent so much time and energy uh, engaging fans and 
and learning what that they what they love the most, what we can amplify, things that we could, eh, you know what, there's a lot of downtime. So instead of a 40-minute clock, let's do a 25-minute clock. Why does only the quarterback have a microphone in his helmet? All the skill position players should have the helmet. So that's why you didn't see a whole lot of huddles because we don't need it anymore. The offensive, co- offensive coordinator can communicate directly to the players now. All right, last thing, I'm going to give you a chance to just do a little advertising here for the, the people that are listening to this, and a lot of them are in and around St. Louis. Just If they want to check it out, if they want to get tickets, uh, what do they need to do? Uh, everything runs through our digital properties, so our website is xflbattlehawks.com. Uh, that is where you can link to tickets, merchandise. We're constantly replenishing merchandise. Uh, if I could stitch or sew, that's what I would be doing right now to try, try to meet the demand of the marketplace. Um, game this weekend on FS1, uh, Sunday afternoon at uh, 5 o'clock Central Time, and then we're at home. Our, our, our home opener, our kickoff game, powered by Amron, is on Sunday, uh, February 23rd at 2 o'clock at the Dome. Pro football making its return to St. Louis. It's a big statement game for not only for the Battlehawks, but for the community and and we're, we're very much looking forward to it. All right. Well, after basketball season, I'm going to hit you up. With, maybe we'll be, we can work out like a Power Mizzou group thing over at the Battle Hawks game, and, uh, and you guys can uh, maybe invite uh, Patrick Mahomes over, and then I'll just move in. <laughs> well, and that, so that was actually what I was bringing up, why I think St. Louis loves uh, the Chiefs is, you know, you can't go wrong when Patrick Mahomes is wearing a blue sweater during the playoffs right. crushing a beer. So... What he did to uh, thaw the St. Louis-Kansas City relations when it comes to professional sports teams was nothing short of spectacular. I mean, the moral of this podcast really every week is that Patrick Mahomes is one of the greatest human beings on the planet, so I appreciate you supporting that idea. Without even knowing that, I'm glad I fed into the beast. Uh, I mean, let, let, let's be honest, he's a, uh, he's a pretty good quarterback. Yeah, yeah, um, we all agree. So uh, on that note, I, I mean, uh, we, we've all come to uh, to the same point of view. So, Kurt, seriously, appreciate it, man. Best of luck and uh, and definitely encourage everybody to go uh, check out a game. Thanks, Kurt. Excellent. Thanks, guys. All right, man, have a good one. Kurt Hunzecker, president of the St. Louis Battlehawks. Uh, how many other XFL teams can you name? I know some of the cities, but I don't Same. know any of the – I mean, I know that they're playing the Roughnecks this week because we wrote a little prediction thing about it. That is the only one whose mascot I could name. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. They're, they're kinda, they seem to be strange between the Roughnecks and the Battlehawks, and I don't know, again, I, any others. But. I'm actually very interested to see what the Battlehawks mascot is because I don't know what a Battlehawk is. <laughs> I have no clue. Just no clue. I mean, yeah. Uh, is it is it a, an actual bird? Is it a plane? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it, it's like a uh, – transformer sure yeah yeah um so look i i don't I, I was kind of interested that it it all seemed to do as well as it did week one um but it's new and all that and i think the test is really season two um yeah. but look i grew up like i was like eight or nine when the xfl or the usfl was around and it was awesome. I watched it all the time, and then they moved it to the fall, and they screwed it up. Yeah. I, I can't say I've ever watched really any of these other 
uh, kind of knockoff football leagues, except for the brief period when there was an arena team in Louisville, the Louisville Fire. I went to a couple of yeah. those games. That I was covered exciting. arena football in Rapid City, South Dakota. It's amazing. That's a great, I remember just being so amused because my dad just hated everything about it. You know, he would get grumpy about it. Like, there'd be like, everything would be sponsored. Like, I still remember the NeilHuffman.com flag on the play. That's awesome. There was They scored like 80. It was like 90 to 80 something. It was a great time. I loved it as like an eight-year-old i covered the black hills machine which i think was not actually in like the real arena football league they were in something called the indoor football league it was like the minor leagues of the arena but they had a guy who had played quarterback at oregon state and then they had a guy who i think was just like an out-of-work mechanic with a huge blonde (laughs) mullet that was an offensive line it was pretty amazing i feel like i this podcast is already non-mizzou enough i should tell my my great arena football Please. league story yeah so i wasn't full disclosure was not there for this so but my cousin my cousins and my uncle went to a game and uh they had like you know basically a a, a contest where they pull some fans out and they had them like you know louisville the louisville slugger they had them like spin around a baseball bat you know put their head on it and spin around and then try to like race the 60 yard field or whatever it is yeah. and so this one guy's uh very very intoxicated the players are are on the sides but they're not, not behind not the wall father. no no okay. so this fan is is uh they're the players are in huddles but they're not behind the walls you know that the edges they're like on the field and this guy is very intoxicated spins around takes the bat with him and starts just starts zigzagging around ends up going into falling into the louisville fires huddle and injuring the starting quarterback knocked him out for the game was was this fan did he actually turn out to be silvio d'souza it might have been that might be i I think the timeline's a little off he'd have to be really young but legitimately knocked their their starting quarterback out of the game with a baseball bat all right so i hey First ever Power Mizzou. It took us 301 episodes, but we talked XFL on the Power Mizzou podcast. Yeah. So, uh, and that's we, clearly the mark for success if you make it on our podcast. A hundred percent. I mean, look at the careers we have launched over the last <laughs> 301 episodes. I, I can't name any of them right now. But <laughs> there's too many to name. I, I think it's possible there's been one. All right, we are now going to turn our attention to the other side of the state. After our uh, 20 minutes of St. Louis Battlehawks talk, we are going to, uh, I don't know if you guys know, there is another professional football team in the state um, who last I read had a uh, had a pretty good season. We're going to talk to Vahe Gregorian from the Kansas City Star, uh, fresh off his uh, many public appearances in Kansas City. How you doing, Vahe? <laughs> I'm great. Uh it's a good time to be here in Titletown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, you know you've you've had a good run. I mean, St. Louis was was very good at things when you were there, and then you moved to Kansas City and immediately brought the rings there. So that is much appreciated from those of us who grew up on the western side of the state. <laughs> well, you know what's funny? I, I I have not looked this stat up myself directly, so I, I'm sort of bringing it up third hand. But I think. Uh, my my uh, lovely and talented colleague Sam McDowell uh, tweeted something out the other day that since 2013, when uh, Sporting KC won, and then the Royals in 15, and the Chiefs, Kansas City is the only city with uh, titles in three of the five major league uh, operations in sports around the country. So it's a little a little concocted, a little little uh, contour to right. our special needs there, but but. Uh, kind of cool yeah and then I, I mean you add the blues in and the cardinals and in all five professional sports franchises have have won one in the state in the last 10 years so 
just give everybody a sense of you were there every single day from St. Joe and training camp to to the parade. I mean, uh, what was it like covering this thing start to finish, and, and what was the city like? Well, I'll tell you what, it, it, you're, you're, you're right on target about that, that notion of it kind of going back to St. Joe, and really you, you can make a pretty good case that this was all sort of just an outgrowth of how last season ended. Um, I think, and you know, you've been a, a longtime Chiefs fan and follower, Gabe, and so you, you might be able to speak to this better than me, but, but I do think that was a, another one of those sort of tortured losses, 37 to 31, playoff overtime loss. But I also don't think it felt like business as usual. I think it felt like, you know, you're almost scraping the sky and you're getting there and you kind of knew with Patrick Mahomes you're going to always have a chance. And if you just get some, some – if you just don't have the worst defense or one of the worst defenses, you might have a real shot. Mm-hmm. And so – that's kind of what happened. I mean, they, they uh, just tore apart the defense right away. Obviously, they blew up um, personnel. They, they, they fired the defensive coordinator. They, they changed schemes. Pretty radical. Um, and almost to the point where when they first did it, it's like, well, what, God, they were really close, and they're, they're blowing it all up. But, uh, you know, it, it, when you look back now and you see what presence and, and force on the field Tyron Matthew was and Frank Clark – became after he got a little bit through that pinched pinched nerve in his neck. And after they had six, eight games together, um, there was obviously a method to the madness. Um, So I think going into training camp, this is my long-winded way of saying, I think going into training camp, you know, you were, we were sort of thinking this is the first time you could really say it's kind of Super Bowl or bust for this franchise. Like it's really, you get to the Super Bowl or it's, it's not a successful season. Um, and I guess you could say that every year, right? But I, I think the incremental improvement they've made since in the Andy Reid era um, it had gotten to the point now where it's like, okay, got to do it to, to make this thing have real resonance. So, um, as you know, you know they win the first four games, and then, then things get a little funny, right? Patrick gets his injury. Um, I'd love to have a, a video of you at the moment Patrick went down just to have a feel for – whether you were fetal yourself. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I had some sympathy pain in my own knee, I think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember some fan responses on Twitter uh, along the lines of, please take my leg, please, God, just take my <laughs> leg instead. Um, and I think that spoke for a lot of people. Um, but lo and behold, it was only a couple weeks, and I think that was the start of something else that felt different about this season, like, Breaks are kind of going the Chiefs' way. They had all these injuries, and yet by the time the playoffs came, they were pretty healthy. Um, obviously, the Dolphins beating the, the Patriots to sort of just throw everything off at the end and give the Chiefs an extra, you know, the bye week and a number two seed that leads to them being at home. Um, just things were falling right, and you could feel that sense of falling right in the locker room in ways that seemed palpable to me. And, look, we've been around teams that you thought had great chemistry and they, they weren't any good and vice versa. But there was something that I'd say on early, by early December, I started really feeling a little bit like that vibe you felt around the Royals in 14 and 15. Um, and it's easy to, you know, have uh, hindsight, especially this year, 2020. <laughs> um, but, it, 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 you know, it, but I do think that's where we were, we were feeling then. Like, the, the sky was the limit. 
for for this team. And but you always need things to fall your way. Um, you know, you could have a deflected pass that becomes a pick six and changes everything. Um, or you could get down twenty four nothing in the first <laughs> first right. playoff game, and um, have a have a big kickoff return that kind of gets you going, and have two plays that they they may not have won that game without the two plays Daniel Sorensen made that you know got them kind of going again. And now they're in the lead by halftime of that game. I mean, it just just was crazy. So I'm not sure I'm really answering your question. I'm just giving you a little of the fever pitch that uh, that I started feeling um, while following it. And and if you want to cue me to start over in a different point of the season, <laughs> I, I happily will. Nah. If I I wanted to ask a little more about that that game against the Texans in the in the first round or the divisional round of the playoffs. So I mean, first of all, um, you know. How, how obviously the the Texans jumped out of that league pretty quickly. It's first quarter. I mean, are you at a point where you're starting to just go ahead and decide, you know, okay, they're, they're not coming back, that uh, this is what I'm going to write, or, or had you not gotten to that point yet? And just, you know, I mean, was there a sense, did you feel like kind of with the team after that, like, man, if, you know, if we can come back from that, uh, if, if you can come back from that, Steve, of a deficit, like this is, you know, you know kind of our year that, that, uh, that you know, from that point on, it was – almost destined well uh, to, to the latter point i did feel like that but i also felt like boy would it not be the biggest letdown ever if you don't if you don't make that into something right so you needed mm-hmm. to see it bear out but i sort of thought you know they were just behind 24 nothing early in the second quarter and they were leading by halftime um there's you know to quote marty mcfly in in a uh, back to the future, they're a team of density or destiny. <laughs> um, they they just something felt right. Something felt felt right. Um, I will say this: when they were down twenty four nothing, I think I might have sent a tweet out. I'm pretty sure I did, saying, you know, this doesn't look good. Um, but I've seen enough things the last few years that there's really, you know, there's a lot of game left to be played. Let's just see what happens. Something like that. And I honestly, that was informed less by anything I'd seen with the Chiefs. Although you do know Patrick can work wonders, um, but but I just harken back to those couple Royals playoff experiences. There's no way they should have been able to come back against the A's. There's no way they should have been able to come back in that game against the Astros, the knockout game the next year, and and any other number of comebacks. And I just sort of felt like I don't really need to feel like one thing or another. They could lose this, but eh, let's see how the game plays out. And I, I certainly, by the way, that is absolutely how I felt. Um, when they were down 20 to 10 against San Francisco, I remember feeling like, well, I guess they might lose, but I don't know. I, I didn't, I didn't feel like this is decided. I feel like we've seen enough in our in our time covering things that, you know, you know when when you just keep your uh, your mind a little clean and and, and away from the uh, uh, I got to write something or away from the emotion. It's you know, eh, let's see what happens. Well, by the way, I got to tie this in. I got to tie this into the Missouri fan base. Oh, go ahead. You want to ask that, or I'll come back to. No, go point. ahead. Go ahead. So I had a breakfast with a, a friend of mine um, the other day. One of the smartest, most rational people I know. Absolutely. He grew up in Columbia, Missouri, though, and thus he feels a little of that sort of tortured sense that that you know it might be familiar to some Missouri fans, yeah. and so he is. Mahomes uh, throws the second interception in the Super Bowl. My buddy is watching at home. He's got a Chief sweatshirt on over a Mizzou T-shirt. He decides that he has to take matters into his own hands and goes down to his basement 
He takes off his Mizzou T-shirt underneath the Chiefs shirt, and um, he is certain that that is that, what unlocked everything. Look, he won so the I game. Asked him if he had like been, he, he won you the tell game. your friend he's the MVP. I, and I bet you there might be some other stories like that. Yeah. But I asked him. I said, if you'd been at a friend's house and couldn't have changed, what would you have done? He goes, Well, we would have lost. Hundred <laughs> percent. So, yeah, I mean that, that's so, that, that's logic, man. I mean that's just how it works. Um, <laughs> yep. But I, I want to ask you a little bit. This is a little more like a, a kind of your job question than a, a Chiefs question, but. I I think you completed your journalism training just like a few weeks before I did. Like you're right about 43, 44, just like me, I think. Um, so, uh, <laughs> right. but you know, like we've always been taught, hey, you cover the games, you're not invested in it, you don't cheer for an outcome, anything like that. And everybody knows it's more fun to cover a good team than it is to cover a bad team. So what's the balance like for you guys covering this kid who – legitimately might be the best thing we've seen through two years in the history of the National Football League and maintaining some sense of not just writing every day, oh, my God, everyone loves this kid. Well, I'll tell you what, it, it's it's kind of interesting because obviously in many ways Patrick's the gift that keeps on giving. One thing about Patrick that's pretty interesting is he's of such interest to so many people, you can find ways to just break down aspects of him whether I'm you know, just freelancing here, but whether it's his voice, whether it's his vision, whether it's you know, something else, his situational awareness, his emotional intelligence, I feel like we've really been able to find ways to write different things about him. Sure, there's some overlap in what we do. You just can't help it. But, but So that, that's been kind of cool. He's of such interest that whatever new wrinkle you can bring to it is worth exploring. Um, so, you know, that's item A. Then item B, you know, you do get caught up in it, right? You feel the adrenaline. You feel the excitement yourself. Um, at the same time, you know, you, you get to write about it. So it's not like, you know, you, you have to rein yourself in. It's like, okay, this is, this is my, uh, my release. My release is getting to try to write about this, if that makes sense. So you're not, you're not really locked down. Um, and, and and look, I will say this too. I mean, this is this is probably obvious, but you feel the, the joy of the team, the joy of the city, um, the, just kind of the exhilaration of you know knowing 50 years is 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 being purged a little bit. All that you certainly feel it in in how you know how you're typing, and I think you feel more free to feel like that as a columnist. Like you know, I just I, I don't I don't feel concerned like that I. I'm violating the prime directive if I smile at a player or shake his <laughs> hand after they won the Super Bowl. You know, I mean, um, you know, this reminds me when Missouri when Missouri beat Kansas uh, in that incredible game at Arrowhead in 07. And Gabe, you were probably down on the field too. I, I, I you know, we were out there covering it afterwards. And uh, Andy Hill comes running over, the former Missouri assistant coach comes running over and just throws his arms around me, and I'm like, ah. Um, you know, <laughs> and I love Andy, but I, but I, I felt like it was a breach of decorum. And I, I think I gave him the, you know, the little pat on the back and like that. And I'd hug Andy today if I saw him, but, um, it, it just feels different when you're in sort of the quote columnist job and you, you feel like, okay, well, my opinion is this is pretty great. <laughs> well, and it, like, it, cause people always ask, and I say like, I couldn't cover the chiefs. I'd get kicked out of the press box, but 
Um, (laughs) You know, like we talk about, it's more fun to cover a a good team because more people pay attention. I don't know if you'll remember this, Vahe, but I remember – I remember talking to you one time when Mike Anderson's team had gone over to Allen Fieldhouse and like, I don't know, they lost by 32 points because that's what Mike Anderson's teams did in Allen Fieldhouse. And so we're standing there waiting for for Mike and Bill Self to have their postgame press conferences. And you said, I don't even know what I'm going to write tonight. And I said, well, it doesn't matter. Nobody's reading it anyway. You know, I mean, so of course we all want to cover good teams. I know. Well, you know what? That's true. It, it it does come up that way, and sometimes it settles you down a little. Uh, I remember once being in a pet shop and seeing a, a, a when I was working at the Post Dispatch, seeing a Post Dispatch underneath a pet, and then seeing that it was the sports section, and then seeing it was my byline, and I sort of thought, <laughs> all right, I can just I can just chill. Um, <laughs> and you know, back back in the day, you always hoped if there was something a real dud that happened, is it, it went in the Saturday paper because you didn't feel like anybody was reading that anyway. Now today, you kind of have to hope people read it anyway, just because of the metrics of how these things work. But but sometimes there's just no good story to tell. That that that's absolutely for sure. And naturally, um, you're pretty energized when there's great stories to tell. So obviously your your focus has been on the Chiefs kind of throughout their season and postseason and Super Bowl uh, celebration. But, uh, you know, you're very tied into Missouri. You've covered Missouri for a long time, uh, both as a beat reporter and a columnist. Uh, curious, you know, just your early impressions of, of Eli Drinkwitz and, and, you know, if there's uh, if he's his, his energy's kind of resonated at all uh, within the Kansas City area. Well, first of all, I, I, I certainly do have a good impression. I, 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 and I think the word you just used was energy, and that, that, that is exactly what my takeaway was. You know, the only time I've been around him was that first day. But And, and, and you guys, we probably talked about this either with each other or in these kind of formats. I mean, all right, maybe, it, maybe, maybe most people win the press conference. Maybe, maybe they do. But he certainly did. And uh, I think you, you, you could capture your imagination with what you saw there. Um, now, I don't know. It's a funny time of year because since he's been in, it's been, you know, Chiefs madness over here. So, I, you know, I think even the uh, general Missouri fan has been pretty, pretty attuned mostly to the Chiefs. Um, so all these things that are kind of in the infrastructure of what they're doing now, I think I don't think many of us, me included, really have a sense exactly of what, what is foundationally happening. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting over there and, uh, seeing more of it and talking to more people on into the spring. But um, I would only say I have a, a, a fine first impression. Uh, he seems resourceful, and, and I think he gets the job. I, I think he gets what this is. Um, and I guess only time will tell whether he can execute, you know, the ways that, that will be required to make it work. I, I don't mean to be so cautious, but I just don't know. Yeah, and last thing for you, we'll, we'll switch over basketball season is still actually going on, even though, you know, a lot of Missouri fans have, have kind of tuned out on it. And and I'm assuming that before he was the coach at Missouri, you had some familiarity with Conzo, whether it was, you know, at Purdue, at Missouri State, with just kind of being a, a St. Louis area type guy. I mean, I kind of what's your view of where they're at? And are you, you know, if you go back three years, did you think it would, would be better than this right now? For sure, I thought it would be better. Um, I'm baffled. Uh, I do go back a long way with Conzo. I, I, I guess I covered a high school game or two of his, and I, I talked to him at length when he first had cancer in the mid-'90s after he came back from Europe. Um, 
and have felt you know certain sense of connection to him ever since. Not that we've kept up all through the years exactly, but but I am rather taken with Conzo's presence. I mean, I I I think he's he's the right sort of mindset for a coach. He does it for the right reasons. I I, I like who he is. I feel like, and you guys could dispel this right away. I feel like there's pieces too. I I, I think they've got some pieces, not the pieces that they really need, but I think pieces that should be better than this is. So I don't get the disconnect. I I, I just don't. I don't. I don't. You know, it seems like offensively it's it's pretty willy nilly. I don't. I don't know that I see um, see much of a, a cohesion with what they're trying to do on offense, and that might be just not watching enough. But um, that that's been my impression, and I I just I just don't I just don't get it. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think I think it's been underwhelming. It'll it'll be. I, I don't know. Interesting to see next year at this time what kind of discussion we're having. Uh, bad news for you, I guess. When you cover a Super Bowl team, now you get what, like two days off, and you got to go to spring training or something. Well, you know, it, it, there are worse assignments than spring training <laughs> yeah. for sure. I mean, and, <laughs> like say and, anything so, in the state have, of Missouri when it's nine degrees. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> on this particular day. Yeah, it is. It's hey, it's ten over here. So, yeah. um, but honestly, I, I am a uh, we're. we're Going down to my wife and I are going down to Puerto Vallarta for for a week uh, as of Saturday. I've, I've learned that there's a little gap on the calendar between Super Bowl and spring training, and every year I kind of just in case make sure that Super Bowl is accounted for in case you know something comes up. And sure enough, this year it uh, it did. So yeah, we'll go down there, and then I'll get home for a couple of days, and then escape to Surprise. I'm looking forward to going to Surprise. I I, I know a lot of people probably aren't excited about the Royals. Their pitching is really kind of a uh, you know, an albatross. It seems like right now, but I tell you what, I kind of like I kind of like their their uh, their position players and what they might be able to do. So we'll see, we'll see. I, I you know that's why they play the games. Yep. Well, appreciate it, man. Have a uh, have a good trip, and uh, you know, get some of those little drinks with the umbrellas in them and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I will. And uh, great to be on with you guys at any time. My pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, right, Vahe. We'll talk to you, Vahe. Vahe Gregorian, Kansas City Star columnist uh, before that, St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Like, obviously has a lot of familiarity with Mizzou. We had to get uh, had to get a few uh, Chiefs things, kind of like we did with Ben Fredrickson before we get accused of, or I get accused. I don't think anybody's accusing Mitchell of being biased <laughs> toward the Chiefs. But before I get accused of bias, we had Ben on the, after the Blues won, kind of same thing. And I, look, this is the time of year. Spring football's a month away. There are some basketball games that, frankly, don't hold a lot of uh, a lot of intrigue at this point. So, just go a little bit different direction. And I mean, we all need to be educated on the XFL and the offseason happenings of Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I, uh, I, I this was probably more Patrick Mahomes talk than I care to have, but I was happy that we got to talk about my <laughs> arena football story and whatnot. And we got to talk to Vahe, who, well, like in a yeah. uh, in a profession of cynical assholes i guess i should put an explicit lyric on there somewhere it's like the <laughs> nicest human being i know absolutely yeah yeah so um i don't know missouri plays auburn saturday yep. that's uh that's not great yeah um i will say this i i think i, I there's i can see a, very much see a scenario in which this is a blowout and auburn wins easily yeah. i mean they're the better team they're the best team in the sec right now 
Uh, I give Missouri a chance just because they've been playing better lately, you know, and they, they I think they can probably draw from, you know, the past two games, especially the LSU game, even though it wasn't a win. And Auburn takes is very reliant on, on three-pointers. They take a lot of threes. Like, you know, you're on the road. It's possible that doesn't fall. Mizzou's uh, been playing better at home. I, I could see a scenario in which – and also Auburn – at some point has to lose a close game. We were talking about this earlier. They're like 5-0 and in overtime games. Yeah. That's ridiculous. I think they're like 8-0 and in games that are decided by 7 or less LSU's this year. LSU's pretty similar, though. Yeah, but uh, all that said, I just, you know, it, this, is, this was my big takeaway from the LSU game. I just don't think Missouri has that guy who, you know, you're in a close game, you've got uh, three or four possessions where you need points, and, and you can just find that guy and give it to him. I mean, Javon Pickett tried to be that guy. He's just not good enough offensively to be that guy. And I, I, I think without that guy, it's hard to see them beating a more talented team. Yeah, so uh, basketball season rolls on. We'll start spring football previews here in a couple weeks. We'll keep podcasting, and uh, I don't really know what we'll talk about, but we'll figure it out at some point. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next Thursday.